This is Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Big drip, big drip. I'm gonna love with a lip, bitch. Ayy, crip shit. Ayy, she wanna suck on the lit dick. Ayy, ayy, ayy. Couple bitches I get lit with. Couple bitches I get lit <laughs> Yo, Selena, you was mad for all the problematic lyrics in that song. I know. You loved it, huh? You like that problem, those problematic bars, don't you? Sometimes, Sometimes. it brings me back. <laughs> I don't know, there's nothing wrong with a little problematic ratchet every now and again. Probably not the best song to set the tone for today's discussion, but I'm going to still let Stanley, our, our favorite engineer, cook. So. Put a little blame on me, right? <laughs> All right. Welcome to another action-packed episode of, episode of Be Heard Talk. This is Stanley Fritz, your favorite engineer on the PC ones and twos who plays the problematic music for the problematic music listeners, and we all love it problematically. That's what we do. And you can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz. You can follow me on IG at Stan Fritz. You can go to Snapchat if you think I'm there, but I'm not really there much, so don't really waste your time doing that. And I'm here to talk that talk and talking about politics, rape culture, and consent. Who else is here with me? Yeah, no. Um, shout out to those who are actually watching us via live. Tiamari and Molly, thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, this is a show where we talk race, politics, and culture, and we do that all from our very diverse perspectives. I'm super happy to be here. If you guys don't already know, my name is Selena Hill. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow me at Miss Selena Hill, and Miss is spelled with an M-S because, again, I'm not here for the problematic um, gender notions and phrases so yeah so definitely follow me there guys check it out we have a great show actually i'm super excited we're going to be talking about everything from um rape culture to toxic masculinity and how that really manifests in our communities i mean like the me too movement sort of like uh went a while in 2017 and 2018 and um i don't really think that we've had too many communities like too many conversations about how it affects us in our community. So I'm super excited to talk about that here. There's a lot of controversy going around about, you know, Duce Palooza and people in the industry that, you know, I've worked with and I'm connected to. So we're going to talk about it. And we have two very special correspondents who are here with us today. I'm going to first welcome back Evan Mastronardi, who's been Zooming with us for at least at least one time before. Yeah, yeah. We, another one. Mm -hmm. How's it going, Evan? It's going good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, in any form, I'm happy to be on Be Her Radio. Uh, you can find me at underscore Mastronardi on Instagram. Uh, Stan and I co-founded Let's Not Be Trash, which has a podcast uh, and has a website where we also talk about a lot of these. Um, we talk about a lot of these issues. Sorry about the doorbell. Uh, about masculinity and feminism. So this is going to be a great conversation. Yeah, it is. No, for sure. And we have Tiffany Brown back. Yay, Tiff. Loving the natural hair. We haven't seen you in a while. How's it going, I sis? I know, right? I'm happy to be on the show, especially for this topic, because it's going to be really good. It's going to be spicy. <laughs> you just here for the spice. Oh, yeah. I'm here for the spice, because I feel like we all, I feel like the group chat and the text have been going crazy <laughs> since this all came out. So I feel like we all either know of somebody or just been to their parties or just know what it is to be a woman and existing in hip hop and in the industry and stuff like that. So I'm excited for the show. And you guys can follow me at Tiffless B. And I also have a podcast, The Protest Bays, which you can also tune into. Yeah, for sure. And like, just so if you guys don't know, later on, we're going to be talking about all the sexual allegations against 
Chris Styles. He is, well, was the former host of uh, Duce Palooza, which is a huge party, especially here in New York City. And then also another person who's been outed is Blogzilla, who is another media influencer heavy here in New York City. We're going to talk about it. But before we get to that, there's been a lot of other news stories we need to talk about in the news roundup. So Stanley, I'm going to throw it to you, talk about some of the other stuff that's going on. Yeah, guys. So in case you're new to this, we do the news roundup. We talk about news stories that made you laugh, cry, curse, flip a table, or just ask some questions like, why is Diddy trying to dip into politics? doesn't make any sense. But apparently... Puff Daddy, Young Diddy, Young Dollar, Swag, whatever his nickname has been over the last 15 years, has come out and said that the black vote will not be free. He is absolutely right, but he's about six months a little bit too late to be saying that because we are no longer in a primary election. We're in a, um, a general election where it's just between two people, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And as Donald Trump continues to try and get elected for a second term, Diddy is telling black voters, you shouldn't vote for him. So shout out to Tia Marie Whitted, who put me on to the story. I didn't know this was happening. So she put me on to the story. But I think Diddy's wilding for respect and needs to sit down. What do you guys think? Tip, I'm going to throw it at you first because what is your boy talking about? Diddy's out here like, oh, hold on. The black vote is not for free. I'm going to hold my vote hostage. Does he not know we are trying to get Trump out of office? Like, what is Diddy doing right now, Tiff? Tiff is on mute, but talk, speaking her heart out. Go ahead, Tiff. Unmute yourself. <laughs> no, I couldn't mute myself. I'll mute myself at first. So Diddy, I think um, Diddy's bored. I think this quarantine got people in lanes that they don't have no business being in. Yeah. And not in a way that he shouldn't be encouraging people to vote. I think celebrities should do that. But I don't think Diddy should be telling people to hold their vote hostage. Like, where were you when we had, like, 25 people running, you know, 25, pe 25 candidates running? Like, you were silent. And I think a lot of this is kind of like a cash grab for a lot of these celebrities <laughs> because they band with like, you know, the Joe Bidens or whoever's running and they get like, you know, they do promotion. Like Diddy had his whole voter die campaign. Yeah. And I think it's like, I think it's not sincere for him to come in this late in the game where we only literally have Joe Biden in the race and no other option. So right. like, where were you um, all these other months when it was, when you could have really, you know, put your voice uh, to use, but he didn't. And I think he's just bored. I think um, now that this election is so close, people are starting to pay attention. But I wouldn't hold what Diddy says with a grain of salt. I'm sorry. Like, just keep Harlem shaking in freaking California. You're a millionaire. He probably voted for Trump, so just saying. Well, I'll, let, before, <laughs> let, let me say this because a few of my friends also definitely, uh, we were talking about it. Shout out to Alex. Shout out to Tiamari. This is what I felt, because I feel like Pete Diddy speaks for a lot of the Bernie supporters and the Bernie bros and Did the he? hardcore progressives who feel like Joe Biden needs to earn the black vote and that black people need to stop voting for Democrats by default because it doesn't really get us anywhere or it doesn't get us far enough when it comes to pushing the black agenda. However, I agree with Tiffany that the timing is all wrong. If Diddy has so much to say about the power of the black vote and leveraging it, he should have been saying that during the primary election where we could have got someone, um, we could have put someone on the Democratic ticket that would have really been for us. So it's too late now. Evan, do, where do you stand on this whole controversy? Do you think that people who do not feel comfortable just voting for Biden should be holding their vote right now? Evan is on mute, Stanley. There you go, Evan. Thank you. 
yes, I look at it as well, Selena, like he is appealing to voters, not just voters, but I think to the candidate himself, that this vote is not a given. And for so long, the Democratic Party, the Democratic establishment has just looked at the black vote as a given and not really worked for it. In fact, Stanley, on the last show that I was on, when we talked about uh, Bernie Sanders and some of his flaws, that's something that you mentioned, which was that he didn't really work that hard to get uh, votes in black communities, at least not enough, especially in the South. He kind of, once again, neglected the South, like it was a given, he was gonna lose it. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. So I look at it more like, given the current nominee or the presumed nominee, he wants to remind those candidates that the vote is not a given. And like we said, he's like you and I said on the last program that we were on, Biden is still probably the best choice given the options, but that doesn't change the fact that Joe Biden should be pushed to put forward policies that truly can impact communities of color and not just think that black people will vote for him. So all right, well, how about this for you guys? Evan, will you vote for Biden this election? Let I will. You know. Hmm? Will you vote for Biden this election with everything yeah. that we know? Yes, I said I will. Oh, you will? Okay, how about you, Tiff? I will preface this by saying, because I live in New York, I have a lot of liberty with my vote. <laughs> and my New York vote is different from a swing state. Oh. And I'm really unsure about Biden. I may invite somebody in because... But I can do that as a New York person. Exactly. If you live in one of these swing states, you, you can't play them games. <laughs> no, I, I agree with that entirely. I'm, I'm just slightly concerned about something Stanley brought up, which is like, if the turnout for New York is just low enough and upstate has a really high turnout, which is mostly Republican north of Westchester County, yeah. I, I just don't want to play anything to chance. But otherwise, I see what you I completely agree. Yeah, I want to just read a comment from Facebook Live from Don L. Don L says, labels like Democrats and Republicans don't help at this level unless accountability is called for and with community results. Do you think there's accountability with the folks in the Democratic Party? Or do you think that Don L is right? The labels don't really matter because neither one of them is accountable or has been held accountable. Um, that's for you, Selena. Um, labels matter because the fact that it matter is we have Donald Trump in pres as president and the Republican Party. And I understand the arguments that like this, you know, it's a two party system and they're not big differences. Yes, there are. Like we have a person who is completely incompetent and who is not being checked. The Republicans in office in Congress do not hold Donald Trump accountable. And that's why he says stupid things like inject life soul into your body if you want to uh, fight the coronavirus. So look, this election like is literally life or death. Diddy was, you know, he was the one championing that that whole campaign, vote or die. Literally, if we don't vote and get Donald Trump yeah. out of president, we're going to continue to die. We are in a pandemic that disproportionately affects black and brown communities. Well, we're on, the ones being affected. Well, hold on, Nassim, because a lot of people don't want to vote for Biden, particularly because of the sexual assault allegation he has against him right now with Tyra Reed. And just this week, we found out that one of Tyra Reed's neighbors has confirmed Tyra did tell her that Joe Biden assaulted her. She told her neighbor that this happened two years after it happened, which has caused more questions for people and finally got Joe Biden to come out and speak on it. Did yeah. you? Uh, not only that, but there's, we haven't seen it, but there has been reporting of a Larry King Live episode mm -hmm. where 
her mom and the person that called was a woman from the place her mom lived saying that my daughter was she didn't specifically say the act but mistreated by a senator and i don't know what to do that is very damning mm -hmm. i mean yeah if it comes out so like i mean i have more suspicion about that that um that Larry King interview because like there's no way to prove that it was a mom because she's dead and then like how, how do you argue that you're but, putting I'm just putting all the pieces together here yeah there's a lot of evidence like like that against against Joe Biden so yeah it's getting thick out here Tiff is that is that the reason you're still like not really sure how you want to move yeah I think that's the the big reason because I feel like it sucks that as a woman black woman that we have like our true options is to fight for like two sexual predators, predators. <laughs> like that's literally our option and i think as activists and advocates like we really have to like do a better job when it comes to like getting the candidates that we want elected even though i felt like it was a whole movement to just get burning out of here and make sure joe biden was the ultimate nominee but I say this, I said this from the very beginning, like Bernie Sanders, I thought, you know, he was an exciting and invigorating candidate, but as simple as it may sound, like Joe Biden is the white person or the devil that black people know. Yeah. They don't really know Bernie Sanders. So they're going to roll with the devil they know because they may like, you know, Joe Biden, mm, you might do something okay for us, but what have white people done for us lately anyway? <laughs> I got a comment from Natasha Caesar who's on um, Facebook Live and she says, it's a lesser of two evils. The goal should be to get Trump out. And I want to shout out Evan, who wrote a piece on this, talking about like what, voting for Biden. Um, Evan, you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah, I'll try to summarize it. I, I said, if you can, Alfred plea Joe Biden. And the Alfred plea is a very interesting legal uh, situation where the defendant in the criminal case, they enter a procedural response as guilty, but they maintain their innocence. So I kind of look at a vote for Joe Biden, especially people, it's not a perfect analogy, I even said that in the piece, but a lot of people feel a sense of guilt towards themselves, their values, communities, um, in response to other progressives, how they look. And it's like, it may be a quote unquote act of guilt, but what happens when this goes to the jury? Meaning what happens when this goes to the electorate and you're not voting? Because in the Alfred plea, you enter that because you know, even if you're innocent, if it goes to the jury, you're probably going to lose. And in this case, it's like if all of the people who don't want to vote for Biden because of those reasons don't vote, we're going to lose and Trump is going to win. So I said that, but and then I gave some reasons that, you know, it'd be great if we can, for example, cross out his name and still bubble in the Scantron. But I don't think that uh, the, the Board of Elections will allow that. But at the end, I said the other part is don't shame people who are assault survivors for not voting. They are literally voting against their own experiences, against their own trauma. Just like many people were never Bloomberg, Stanley, even you said in one of our podcasts, like you would never vote for Bloomberg, you said. Yeah. And then you all said, well, maybe I'm being spiteful. And I was like, no, you're not. Because if you're personally affected, you've been personally stopped in the frisk. I have friends who have been, I've been. And I know people who much more, of course, had more harm than me. And if that happened to you, your family member directly, and you can't, Bring yourself to vote for Bloomberg. I understand. I understand the same way, though, for sexual assault survivors. Selena, um, I want you to go next. But before you do, I just want to read Tamari's comment real quick. Tamari, who's watching us on Zoom Live, goes, did anyone say these allegations about Biden when he was with Obama? That's mm -hmm. what surprises me. As cutthroat as Republicans are, this never came up while Obama was president. But Selena, go ahead. 
question. I 100% agree. And I think that that's a very fair question. We have to look at the timing. I mean, look, sexual assault is wrong, whether it happens yesterday or three decades ago, which is what Tara Reid is talking about. But the thing is, there's no coincidence that now they're bringing it up and that now it is, you know, it's getting the spotlight that, again, it deserves. But at the end of the day, we have an election to win. And if you ask me, you cannot, like, Joe Biden and any sexual predator, you know, if caught and proven guilty, is horrible. Absolutely. But you also, we have Donald Trump who admits to it and does not feel any remorse and is actually empowering other predators by being so open and fragrant about it. Like he literally says, I grab women by their vaginas. And then he was like, oh, that was locker room talk. Next question. So at the end of the day, I'm just so sick of Trump that I'm one of those anyone but Trump type of people at this point. And again, I was supporting Bernie and it was very hard for me to sort of like flip the script. But at, at this end, it, it's live. It's, at this point, it's lives on the, it's, there are lives on the, um, there are lives on, that are being, that are, there are lives that are being affected. And that's what I'm voting up for. Evan, just real quick, um, just respond to that. And I'm going to put a poll out there for the watchers. I, I don't particularly like that, that statement because there's so many factors there. When during the Obama era, how many people came out after Me Too because they saw this global community of support? So many people gave their story for the first time because of that, because they felt they would be more supported about many powerful figures. So yeah, they weren't going to say anything then. I, I completely understand that. Tara didn't think she had enough support. I mean, even now with Me Too, a lot of people still get death threats and their careers get injured. So imagine beforehand where you felt there was even less support. So yeah, I def it's it that doesn't really raise any flags with me. And I also just wanted to point out though, Biden initially responded through a publicist, and it took him a month to do this now. So that's the other reason I think he's guilty. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I honestly do not know whether he's guilty or not. I do know there's pieces of the story that like make me nervous, um, which makes me feel bad because of the space I've in. We should just be able to believe women, right? But like the parts that make the parts that make me nervous is that like. The, it didn't come out when Obama was president, which like that seems weird to me. And then like when she first came out, she said that he just like rubbed her shoulder inappropriately. And then a year later, then she said that he did more. Then when they asked her why she didn't say something then, she was like, well, like the reporter asked me a question that made me uncomfortable, so I didn't say anything. And they were like, they were like okay, fine, then why did you wait another year then to say anything? She said something else though. She said that when the other women came forward, okay. Um, and then she said that this is like all, all this stuff is like in a record. She filed a complaint. No one can find a complaint. They asked that that she, she said she complained to. None of them can confirm it. And then like she told her roommate, but she told she told her neighbor, but she told her neighbor two years later. So I'm not saying that she's lying. I don't. I think something happened there. But like, I think it's reasonable for people to be like nervous because of what we've seen happen in the last two elections where misinformation was thrown out there to muddy the waters. I think that's, that's where I am at this moment, if I'm being honest. I think something happened, but I don't know. I think something happened. I think people are running with it to maybe ex to expand it to be more. I'm not discrediting her, her story at all. If she was made to feel uncomfortable by him, then she needs to tell that story. But truth of the matter is, like, any chance they, they could to take to go against Obama, they would have used it. So I just think holding this in the chamber, <laughs> wait, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's my conspiracy theory mind going. 
but she that's that's the thing that really gets me though. <laughs> they were looking, like they they were actively looking for stuff to get against Obama. This right. never came out because she wasn't disclosing the story. So what made her change her mind after he was vice president for eight years? I just said it's because of the Me Too movement where many women who didn't talk about powerful figures, including politicians and entertainers that could have ruined their career, a lot of them came out now because they felt they had more support. They felt they had more support in society. And also, she, it wasn't just that reason she didn't go further. It was that she said, I got enough hate for the little piece I said about him that I was not going to go full throttle and say the whole story. Look, these, these survivors get death threats. They get so many things. I cannot ever question why they take so long to come forward. And on top of that, we believed Christine Ford for something that happened in high school about, about Kavanaugh. So, would, and there was less corroboration. I would disagree. So, there was more people that came out and said, like, when that happened, there was more people that was like, yeah, can't, like, what's this guy, Kavanaugh, you should do stuff like that. Yeah, we yeah. saw her after she came out the room with him. Yeah, like, there was a lot more people. There were seven people for Biden. It just one didn't go that far, but this behavior was corroborated seven times. There were multiple people corroborating Dr. Ford's story in the beginning, like all in the beginning. And then the part that I think that like has made me like really question Biden is because in the Kavanaugh situation, she came and did a deposition in front of the Senate and took all the questions. Then Kavanaugh came on there and yelled and screamed and phoned at the mouth and they let it go. Mm-hmm. And, but like she, she, she like she did that there were multiple people who could account for that it was very obvious not just from what she said and from the consistency of her story which once again um tara's story hadn't been consistent at first that like something had happened now i'm not saying that tara is lying i'm not saying that at all like i'm inclined to believe her but i am gonna say that i understand why people are suspicious because of all those things Well, like I said, Biden, beforehand, we didn't have this type of allegation, but we did have the type of allegation that he exhibited in behavior that made women uncomfortable. So it's not a huge stretch to think at one point he did more. And that was six other women. And uh, it's true, Christine Ford did give a deposition. But, you know, how many women who are survivors are willing to give a deposition? You know how much that puts you out there? We cannot keep comparing these standards of survivors who put themselves out there so forthright because... People have different levels of trauma of hurt and are willing to, and some people are even less uh, privileged as Dr. Ford may be, and are not able to take the consequences. And some of the consequences are pretty bad. So I, I personally think that she has enough, she has as, had as much evidence as other people that we believed in the past. Well, you were the one that compared it. And like, I told you what the difference was. No, not, I didn't compare the fact that she gave a deposition. I, no, I compared the fact that there was some level of corroboration that is equal measure, in my opinion. Dr. Ford had even less evidence than Tara Reid, and we believed her. And then I said, no, she actually had more people corroborating her. But but Biden has people corroborating his behavior too, just not to that extent. Yes, six other people came forward. No one is saying they saw that. Some people are saying, I was told two years later, but like in the Christine, the Basie Ford situation, not only did Kavanaugh have a reputation of like getting drunk and doing things like that to women that people could corroborate for, people also could corroborate for the fact that he did take her into that room. She did come out a few minutes later crying that he, like they were bragging about those things. Like that's what I'm saying. Like that story had more smoking guns. I, yeah. I'm adding together the six other women 
the possible Larry King thing, her family member and her neighbor, like I said, plus the six other women who said this behavior is going in that direction. To me, all of that adds up to about the same thing. It's just different levels uh, with different types of people. But to me, it's about the same. Lena, you got yeah, no, I'll just close out by saying this because, you know, details and facts are definitely important. Uh, this is something that I am looking into. Uh, it is sad, like Tiffany said, that we have two people who have been accused of uh, being sexual predators on the ballot. Uh, however, I do feel way more comfortable with Joe Biden. Um, I, I Again, I said this is life or death. And I think that for us as women, this is something that, you know, many of us struggle with. Or and, and have to come to you know some type of some type of peace with, um, but you know at this point, if you ask me, look, I'm trying to get Trump out. Um, that being said, I, I do want to just you know switch gears, Stanley, because I know there were some other stories that we wanted to address. Yeah, that whole Biden situation sucks. But um, <laughs> oh yes, and speaking of things that suck, if you will, so um, there was actually. <laughs> No, that was, that was a horrible segue, but, um, okay, so there was the, a black man who was jogging in a suburban neighborhood in, uh, Georgia, who was literally followed by two white men, uh, a man, a white man and his son, and they allegedly were telling him, you know, stop running, what are you doing, all this other stuff, they had guns in their hands, and the black jogger felt very uncomfortable, so he started running away from them even faster, they got in their cars, they caught up with him, and they shot this black man down in Georgia. And those two black, those two white men who committed this murder have not even been arrested. So let's talk about that. Oh God, that's even more depressing. Um, they probably didn't get arrested because of stand your ground laws, even though they obviously were not in danger if they were chasing that person. Um, but yeah, listen, we've seen this movie play out a million different times. And there really is nothing else left to say except for that there's nothing left to say. These people should these people should suffer consequences. They should be accountable for their actions. And once again, it's just like just another like point of proof that shows that black lives are not valued in this country. Um, if you if anyone has a question or a comment, please also feel free to put the, your questions in the Q and A box, and we'll address them there. Uh, Tia Mari left a comment. She said, "That's how I feel in my neighborhood." I'm scared to go jogging where I live. Tiffany, what do you say to, you know, black and brown folks who said, we can't even exercise and take a jog without being hunted down and killed? I don't know what you can say because I feel like we hear these stories. We have our outlets, our black publications that cover these stories. But like, what is the solution? I feel like the solution is white people got to stop being freaking racist and do better. Like, because you see a black person jogging in the neighborhood, that does not give you the right to be the judge during executioner, which those men were. And I know there was more to the story because it was like allegedly saying that he could have possibly robbed a home, this and a third, but like, that doesn't matter. That's why we quote unquote have law enforcement. You could have easily have called the police, which I think someone else did actually. So it's like, you could have taken those steps. Like, why is it okay when it's like a black life that white people and especially white men can pick up arms and just shoot you down in the street? And of course we know if this was reversed, I don't even think this would be an issue if, a, if we saw like a random white person jog in our neighborhood, like, mm, look at that gentrification, here they come. Yep. Like, we're not gonna get our guns and start following them and shoot them down. Like something is wrong with the psyche and it shows mm. how, how much our lives as black people are not 
value because there was no reason for him to be shot down mm-hmm. that way, especially when it comes to, even if you thought he robbed something, it just shows you that property is always worth more than our actual lives. And now you have this young man who's shot, who's dead, and the family has to deal with that. And you have two people who think they did, you know, a good day's work. And I don't understand how we can reconcile the two. I got a comment from Jason Johnson. He goes, I I live in Georgia. I think people forget how racist Georgia is. Mm -hmm. He knows me and I won't publicly post how I feel. So I'm going to stop reading that because you just said that. (laughs) (laughs) Publicly post how he feels. But yes, that was a comment of a person who lives in Georgia. Yeah. Well, to Tiffany's point, racism is a disease. White people suffer. And I don't want to put it in, I don't want to like make it sound like it's something that's empathetic towards them, but this mentality where you see another person and you feel so superior that you either want to kill them or you're somehow in fear, this is a disease that is plaguing our country and something has to be done. Evan, what what are your thoughts on it? Absolutely. I think that there's racism throughout this country, there's racism throughout white people, and there are certain states that embolden them. And the laws in those states, a lot of those southern states have these stand your ground laws. I believe Georgia does too. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. that emboldens them to act on their racism, just as like white people were racist throughout this country before Donald Trump. But what Donald Trump says is like, yeah, you don't gotta hide it as much anymore, it's okay. But the laws of states can do that as well. And these two white men felt, I can take arms, the state will not punish me, law enforcement will not punish me, and they were right, because the law enforcement system is also racist. Mm-hmm. It was a job well done for them. <laughs> like, but, I mean, speaking of, like, white people not suffering any consequences for guns, did you guys hear what happened at the um, Michigan State House? Oh, that's ridiculous. A bunch of quote-unquote activists who want to go back outside came to the state capitol armed with guns and tried to get to the governor's office. The police had to hold them back. A lot of folks are now saying that if this had been a group of black people with guns, they would have been shot in the street. And Black Panthers was trending on Twitter because, well, the Black Panthers did something similar in the 60s in California, and they immediately passed gun laws. Mm -hmm. So I want to leave us with that, guys. We do have to switch gears. It's time to get to the main topic. As you know, we started the show talking off talking about consent, Duce Palooza, Chris Style, and Blogzilla. And now we're going to dive right into that. I want to give it to Selena to get the conversation going. Thank you for that. So I'll just brief you guys on what's been going on. Last week, former Duce Palooza host Christopher Samuels, who is better known as Chris Styles, became the target of a string of allegations of various forms of sexual misconduct by over 40 women. Now, for those of you who don't know, Duce Palooza is a popular hip-hop party that originated here in New York City in 2012. It was originally named Henny Palooza. However, it was renamed after Jay-Z's part-owned cognac brand, Duce, uh, uh, basically adopted it. And since it has drawn attention from Swiss Beats, Pusha T, and Rick Ross. And Duce Palooza actually had one of their biggest events to date at Brooklyn's Barclays Center this past December. Mm-hmm. Now, While some women accused Chris of forcing them to have sex with him and even recording it without their knowledge, many of them said he aggressively tried to coerce them to have sex, but failed. The allegations against him, which range from assault, coercion, and even rape, began on April 27th after a woman named Cheyenne Skye shared on Twitter that one night Chris offered her a ride home, but took her to his apartment instead. During the car ride, she says 
he tried to kiss her and force her to give him oral sex. Then instead of dropping her home, he drove to his house. And once they got inside, he continued to make aggressive sexual advances towards her, towards her until she firmly told him, absolutely not, we're not having sex. Wow. After that, she says, and I quote, he left me on a random street corner in the middle of Brooklyn at 3 a.m. after she would not have sex with him. Yeah. Soon after that, multiple women came forth sharing similar stories of how Chris either mistreated them, slashed them, or just became really, you know, obnoxious and, and verbally uh, abusive after refusing to have sex. One woman says that he admitted to her that he intentionally got her drunk to have sex with her even after she told him no. Now, the next night, Chris went on Instagram Live against his circle's advice to defend himself against the allegations of rape. He said, and I quote, I still, I still can stand on what I did. I still can stand on disrespecting women. I still can stand on, on, that, I, on that I was wrong. Rape? I'm not standing on that. If that's the case, please, I implore you to go to the authorities. Do it. Now. After that happened, another New York influencer, Blogzilla, was outed for similar claims. Now, Zilla is a media personality who works at Global Grind. His former, former colleague, retired hip-hop journalist Lindsay India, initially outed him when she tweeted, and I quote, Okay, since my phone is being blown up by you with another manipulative conversation to try and keep me quiet, let's talk about it. Then she goes on to say that she was interning for Zilla back in 2011 and 2012 at Global Grind, and he made her so uncomfortable that she was relieved when he was finally offered a remote position. Now, Zilla responded to Lindsay and admitted that uh, some of what she exposed was true. He wrote on Twitter, I'm aware of Lindsay India's thread and, of, and some of what she says is true. It's not up to me to decide someone's level of comfort, but I wasn't gaslighting. I genuinely believe she is talented and I want nothing but the best of her. Regardless, Lindsay's uh, brave account and, and, and testimonial encouraged a number of people to start coming forward, including Sydney Michelle, who said, and I quote, after speak speaking with Lindsay India and a few other women, I've decided to share my story. And she went on to talk about how, uh, how he was also a very predatory in nature towards her too. However, one of the most alarming accounts that at least that I've read was shared by a woman named Gray, uh, Gracie Grace, Gray C23 Grace on Twitter. She said, and I quote, Zilla is an insecure, disgusting predator who choked me and hit me in front of many witnesses at a networking event. Wow. She says, she goes on and says, I pressed charges and then I decided to drop them because of how overwhelmed I was. And I thought that if I went through with it, I would have been blacklisted from the entertainment industry. So I want to start this conversation here because there's a lot to unpack. But I do want to start with you, Stanley, because you know Chris Styles personally, and you have hung out with him because he went to our alma mater, Old Westbury. Stanley, what was your reaction to the to the allegations of sexual assault against Chris Styles? I mean. I was shocked. Like that, it kind of, it came out of nowhere. I was shocked and disappointed. Um, when I started to read the stories, though, like it's tr it was really troubling. 
but I don't think for the same reasons as other people. Like when I read some of the stuff that was happening, the first thing I went to my mind was like, oh, he's violating them. Like, this is grimy. And then like the next thing went to my mind is like, this is not, this is not like wild behavior that like only Chris is doing. Other guys are probably doing this. Other guys have done this. Mm-hmm. And that kind of made me really sad because the way that he was reacting, it made sense because to him, he didn't do anything crazy. He was just like violating them. He was scumming them. And it made me sad because like, that's the way a lot of dudes really like, a lot of dudes really move and think just because of the way that they perceive women or the way that they perceive sex. It's like, all right, she's not gonna give me what I want. I did what I was supposed to do. So now I'm about to scum her. I'm about to violate her. I'm about to OD on her. And like, it's just like, I mean, Chris isn't what, what the accusations against Chris are like serious, but it's indicative of like a toxic culture that we got to address in masculinity. Mm-hmm. Tiffany, you've been following these stories very closely. You also grew up here in New York City. What was your reaction? Oh, Chris Styles is like a typical dude from Brooklyn. Like, I think that's a regular decalogue too. Like, I'm sorry, Stanley. You could be surprised because I feel like. People are surprised because they see this person, they see this fun, jovial, like, character. But with some of the women, he had, like, the same M.O., you know, buying them drinks, using that he's affiliated with Rock Nation and things like that, like, using his power, quote-unquote power, and access to other celebrities to get women. And if you look at Duce Palooza or a lot of these festivals in general, it is, like, it is, like, a breeding ground for that sort of behavior and that culture there. Where it's Duce Palooza, you're getting wild drunk, you're listening to all the trap tunes, you're twerking this, that, and the third. And it's real easy for guys or people who are, you know, going to do predatory things to be in that sort of space and kind of blur the lines and be like, oh, well, you were backing it up or well, you were drunk or you were talking wild nasty to me, so, like, I, what's up? But what was really, like, almost, like, scary to me is, like, the fact that because he didn't get what he wanted, he felt that it was perfectly okay to just ultimately disrespect these women. And, like, the fact that one of the girls that he, um, that shared her story, I think she's affiliated with, um, the Guys Next Door podcast, and she said that he left her on Myrtle Avenue. She just moved to New York, right? So she doesn't really know anything of how to get around. He just left her there, like, like, she was, like, some, like, injured dog on the street, and he was just, like, discarding of her. And I just think that is so scary to me that men could just be so flippant when it comes to women, especially when they don't get their way. And on top of that, I watched his live. I'm going to say this. If you were accused of sexual assault, I don't think live is your friend. I don't think you need to be getting on live. That's why we have lawyers. Lawyers go to school to protect people like you because I don't think he made it any better because saying like, okay, all that stuff that they're saying, I'm a cop to that. Cool. But rape, but rape, it reminds me of when when women excuse me when men are online and they say like okay so what's the what's the line in the sand before it becomes like rape and it's like if you have to ask that question sir you are in dangerous territory already. Well, Chris, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. So I think for someone like like Chris Styles and like and even his friends, I know all of his friends put out statements saying that they were shocked and appalled. I don't buy it. I think they know that their brand is on the line. I'm sure it's going to be over for Duce Palooza for a while, or, or you know, a lot of them are going to rebrand themselves, said that they went to therapy. You know, they're going to go on Jada's Red Table Talk, you know, because she loves the broken doves, you know, the wayward men that be doing trash and stuff. Like, and you know, and they're going to be right back to Millie rocking on stage. Mm. 
Evan, I want to get your reaction to everything that's going on. And something important that Tiffany said, she said she does not believe that these other guys were shocked because it was a culture of this type of problematic behavior that sort of cultivated itself. Like Stanley said, a lot of dudes move like this. So if you criticize someone else for moving like that, you're criticizing yourself. And that's, that's what happens when a lot of guys see their own actions in other people. That's when they draw their own line saying, I'm not going to speak out because that's me. So there's that. Also, I want to bring one comparison, this to Joe Biden. Uh, I saw Eric Holder, who was a former attorney general, do an interview. And for the most part, I thought it was a decent interview, even when he responded to Biden. But there's one thing he said that I, I really don't like, which is what I'm sure some guys may say about Chris Stiles, which is like, I knew this guy for 25 years. That's not the person I knew. Were you his girlfriend? Were you someone he dated? No, then you have no opinion. Because to me, it's like, unless you've been the, someone's partner, you really never know how they treat that person. How do you treat your boys how, as your boy? How am I gonna, unless you disclose that, which some guys do, and I believe that's entirely possible here. He may have disclosed it to his friends, but sometimes they don't. And like, you're just gonna treat women the way you treat women and have a public face separately. So I think that's entirely possible. But yes, I think his friends may have known. In fact, the manager uh, of Duce Palooza was emailed about this. And it was disregarded. He said he would take care of it. uh, And then it was disregarded. So none of this is surprising. And all of it, as Stanley says, indicative of a broader way that guys move. And we shouldn't have to say, once it's rape, then we'll care. Mm. It's like, that's such a low baseline for men. Care well before it gets to rape. And someone's comfort to at least half of that is your responsibility. The other half is theirs, but half of it is your responsibility to try to make the person come. Stanley? Yeah, you know, I think Evan hit the nail on the headache right there. Like, we should care before it gets to rape. But also, we should have an honest conversation about consent because people obviously do not understand consent at all. And people don't understand that consent is fluid. So you might get consent, but consent can be taken back. And just because you got consent for one thing, doesn't you get consent for all the things. And you have to be asking consistently. And it should be enthusiastic and there shouldn't be any, like anything where like the power, the power like vacuum is different. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be that way. But then also, we got to really talk about the way that a lot of men are socialized to think about sex. And I like to talk about myself first and no one feels like I'm coming at them directly. But the way that I grew up, women, like there was women and then there's sex. And you're trying to get sex from women. And you almost separated the exactly. sex from the woman. They were just a barrier. So you got to do certain things to get it. So you got to pay for food. You got to send them a text in the morning. You got to tell them they're pretty so you can get the sex. Right? That's literally, like my dad told me one day, I said, Dad, how did you, why did you learn how to speak Dutch? He goes, so I can have sex. Because the women were Dutch, I want to have sex with them. So I wanted to learn Dutch so I can speak Dutch and then cry if they didn't want to give it to me so I could get it. That was what he told me. And when you got a whole bunch of men who are moving like that, like I'm going to do whatever I got to do to get to get the, the sex in the woman, right? And then you're also talking about men who've been told their whole lives that boys don't cry, boys don't show emotion. So now the only two emotions that they have are rage and hopefully joy. What do you think is going to happen? Because now they've done A, B, and C to get it from the girl or woman, and she says no, and they react that way. And the accusations that I'm seeing from Chris, like obviously I'm not there, so I don't want to speak to it, but like the accusations we're seeing from Chris, like he's reacting. It sounds to me like he's responding in a way that a lot of these men and boys who don't know 
how to handle their emotions and do not see the humanity of women are acting. And yeah, so like Chris got called out, Blogzilla got called out, but there are millions of boys who are moving just like that or who had the potential to be just like that. I, I've never gotten to that point, but there was a point where I was like, well, I called you, I took you out. What do you mean you don't like me? What do you mean you won't have sex with me? And I would get mad at her. And then I'd be like, oh, she put me in the friend zone. And I would have bitterness towards women. That like, that's a real thing. And like, no matter how good you, no matter how good you think you are or how like quote unquote feminist you think you are, if you grew up in this world, which is socialized and normalized patriarchy and sexism, and you're a man or you identify as one, this has been in your programming. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for that that personal account and testimony, Stanley. I, I do, you know, consent is something, I'm happy that you define it, it's something that is ongoing and mm-hmm. something that two mature consenting adults need to communicate verbally about because you cannot make those assumptions that somebody, just because y'all were dancing up on each other in the club, that doesn't mean that 30 minutes later or afterward, if you go, you know, you, you want to go get a drink or do something afterward, that person still feels that same sexual energy or, or charge. You have to talk. But I want to talk about just the power dynamic because I think the situation with Zilla is a little different. Um, and the fact that he was a, a prominent person at Global Grind. And full disclosure, I worked at Global Grind. I worked directly with Zilla and I worked directly with Lindsay India during um again she was the woman who outed him at first so when i was there zilla was like the head honcho right i came in and he was already doing mostly the all the the prominent uh celebrity interviews and he was a person who was definitely in charge and had a lot of power and from what i read from Lindsay's account it was he was using and taking advantage of that power dynamic in order to co- coerce uh, different uh, interns and other younger women to have sex with him. Now, one woman said that she was interning with him and he said, oh, we're having a group meeting at my house. So she traveled to his house real- and no one else was there. And he was like, oh, no, other people are coming. Don't worry. You know, sit back. Let's have some Patron shots and let's work. And that's exactly what they were doing until he pulled out a picture of his penis and he showed it to her. And then at that point she was like, I need to leave um, because this is definitely beyond being inappropriate. So the question I have is how and why do men think that this type of inappropriate behavior is something that they can just get away with? And even if they were, even if men were socialized to think like this, do they still feel like they're going to be able to get away with it now in the Me Too era? Uh, I'll throw that first at you, Evan. Yeah, I mean, I think Stan, there's a, there's a few things there I want to address. But I think what Stanley was talking about is like this almost uh, quid pro quo kind of arrangement where I do this for you, you do this for me. And men, and, and a lot of those examples, he, he took a woman to his house. He drove a woman somewhere. He bought her something. And maybe even in past situations, this did lead to consensual sex. So it's like a formula to this person. And if you mess up that formula, something's wrong with you. So that's how a lot of times they're looking at, well, she's in my house. That means sex. She's in my car. That means sex. So that's why just whipping out they meet and putting it in front of her out of nowhere and thinking that's permissible. So they do a lot of things based on what they got away with in the past. And a lot of, to answer, to answer your question, also about the Me Too era, even in the Me Too era, you think about who's going to hold them accountable. And a lot of the people we got holding people accountable did this themselves. 
and they have this record. And politicians and law enforcement and all these places, wherever there's a large group of men enforcing something, there's a lot of sexual assault, there's a lot of racism. So it's, I think some of it's like, who is going to hold them accountable? Because the police don't handle sexual assault cases well. The media always has at least most of the men supporting the men. So we need to create a society that holds them accountable because right now, aside from men genuinely internally changing, we don't have much that will hold them accountable other than some sort of aggregate uh, trending for them online that prevents them from getting jobs. And even then, I'm sure they can get some, some sympathy from other men and find work many times. So we just don't have the system right now that, that truly and consistently can hold them accountable. Tiffany, I, I want to get your voice back in here because I feel like, you know, when the Me Too era really blossomed and evolved, it kind of felt like a white woman's movement where they were like, oh, you know, they weren't acknowledging their privilege and it didn't always feel like an, ex an inclusive space, even though it was founded by Tarana Burke, who is a black woman, but it almost felt co-opted at one point. Uh, but now, you know, this, this, these situations hit home. This is happening to ours in our communities. You know, Stanley and I know these people. You probably, you might have went to the parties. So this is close to home. I want to talk about just the community dynamic here because I feel like in our communities, a lot of times if a guy grabs your arm and says, Ma, come here, let me talk to you, that's normal, right? Yeah. And that's not something where I'm not calling the cops if, you know, homie grabs me at the bodega because that's something that I think that we're also socialized to accept. So mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about this? I think we got to start calling that behavior out, like, immediately. And this is not to put the onus on women, because I do think some of my friends, we do call that behavior out, or we throw, well, like, a shady look to make sure that dude knows, like, that's not okay, that's not right. But I think men need to start calling that behavior out more. Because I was talking to one of my friends about the crystals. He was like, oh, like, that was kind of like an open secret. Like, everyone knew this. I'm just like... Really? Everyone knew this, and, and y'all wasn't saying anything until right now. I get, like, this is a time for these stories. They're, they're ripe, and they're more accepting of these sort of stories now because of the Me Too era. But we need to start demanding more of, you know, men to call this behavior out. This is why I'm saying I find it hard for the people around him to not see him like, yo, Chris was walling out that day. Or if he is recording women, you, who was he showing it to? Mm. Like, they, they kind of, like, you know, um, characterize themselves as a family. We brothers, we this, we that. Do safe for life. So I, I just find it hard to believe that. We really have to call this behavior out. I remember I was at the, um, the LIRR station. I was getting, like, a Metro car, and, like, someone was, a friend of mine, he was in front of me. He was having issues with it. He was like, oh, it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. And he was like, pause. And I was like, Really? We're like 30 years old, like <laughs> you for real right now. Like stuff like that, like even like you said, like people grabbing your arm or when someone says like pause or like no home or stuff like that. Like we need to call that out because we are normalizing something that's like not okay. And it's uncomfortable for women. I feel like a lot of us women, we feel uncomfortable. We don't want to make these dudes feel uncomfortable. But like, no, you make me feel uncomfortable. So like your level of comfort can't, you know, um, trounce minds per se. So we got to call out this behavior. And I also think women are taught to, you know, make sure you carry mace or like we have self-defensive courses. I know for me, if it's a certain time at night, I don't want from the LIRR to my house. I'll catch a cab. Like 
men don't have to think about that. So I think the same way we teach girls to like, make sure your skirt's not too short, you don't get too drunk. We need to be like, hey, make sure you don't rape nobody when you go to the exactly. party. <laughs> like, right. And you know, Tiffany, you brought up so you brought up so many good points because again, <laughs> the culture at Juice was it's hard to believe that none of his boys knew this behavior was happening. None of his boys saw how he was all up, you know, just being too aggressive on different women at different times. In mm -hmm. fact, one woman testified that she was on stage at Duce Palooza, I guess before it really evolved and blossomed into, you know, the level it is at now. Mm -hmm. And Cam, who was one of the founders, took his hand and pulled up her shirt and exposed her breasts. And the DJ was like, oh, you wildin', Kim. And then she said, everybody on stage, all the guys just started laughing at her. You cannot tell me that if something like this is taking place, behind the scenes, it's even worse. Stanley, what, what is happening in these communities, in these party scenes, you know, even on campus? Like, you, you, went, to, you went to school with Chris. Is this a behavior that you think he just developed in the last few years? <sighs> No, I, I mean, like, no, this is not, I mean, maybe he's, maybe it, like he's gotten to the point now where he felt like he could do it, but like, this is learned behavior. You saw it from someone else. You he's probably or, more bold about it, not to interrupt. What was that? He's probably more, more bold about it because he has um, notoriety. And clout. Affiliated with, but he has more clout. So I think he's definitely more yeah. bold about his actions now. Yeah. And I think, I think so, like, I think, so like that's probably maybe he's like more vocal about it, or he feels more confident to do that. But like somebody, like somebody talked to him about this, or like he saw somebody model that behavior, or he saw somebody who got props or clout for doing that. And I don't want to say that like that behavior is something that every single guy does, but every single guy knows at least one person who mm -hmm. has or has yeah. the potential to do that. Mm -hmm. Because the fact of the matter is like we're just not taught to humanize women and we're, we're not, we're not taught, we're not socialized to connect sex with the person. And when you're dehumanizing people naturally while also trying to get something from them, you create space for these kind of things to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, when I was in college with Chris, you know, we weren't hanging out all the time. Like we were like, you know, we saw each other, we knew each other. We were in the same circles. We were friendly. I've had drinks with my brother. So this kind of behavior, but I've never seen that kind of behavior from like most guys. And if I did, I, I would do something. I would say something. And I have, but the fact of the matter is, like even like even in the moments where like I have tried to speak up and do something, I have received backlash from men and from women, and that's happening because like we're not a hundred percent clear on why it's so problematic because we're not having healthy conversations about sex. That's the problem. We are literally cultivating people to become sexual predators and women to become survivors, and it we don't solve the problem by coming here and canceling Chris or Blogzilla for that behavior. I mean, they need to be held accountable. Let me be very clear about that. Like they should be held accountable, but we have to have a deeper conversation. How do we decolonize people's minds? Yep. Mm. You know what, to me, you know, Evan, this leads us to toxic masculinity, mm -hmm. something that is embedded into boys that eventually become men. Define that to us and, and, and how that behavior is manifested here in these examples and what needs to be done to sort of combat it. Yeah, to, to, to add to what Stanley said, well, first, I think when men speak up, I think more people listen. So as men, we should speak up. Also, I saw a quote that said, uh, don't raise a son my daughter needs to recover from. 
And I think that's very important because we kind of look at all these things like raise, protect, like Tiffany said, protect the daughter, protect the daughter, let the sons run wild. So that's part of toxic masculinity is boys will be boys. Toxic masculinity is there's certain behaviors, which I always, one of my responses, I think sometimes gets to men is, you know, boys will be boys makes you sound like a low bar. Like, why would you set such a low bar for yourself? All these terrible behaviors. So to be clear, toxic masculinity, this is where people, basic, you know, critical thinking, they mess up. They're saying people are attacking my masculinity. No, toxic masculinity doesn't mean masculinity is toxic. Masculinity is not toxic inherently. Toxic masculinity is the behaviors within masculinity that are toxic. And many of them are the ones we've been talking about. Pressuring women, coercing women, uh, this notion of alpha male that dominates and, and puts down weaker men, women, LGBTQ people. It's all the behaviors that make men, uh, make masculinity more valuable when you put other people down, when you don't listen to their rights, when you dehumanize them. It's, it's a whole spectrum of, of feelings and, and emotions. And it's also when you yourself can't have certain feelings of emotions. Like Stanley said, it's basically either you're horny or you're angry. And sometimes you're happy about accomplishments in between. <laughs> and that's it. So if you don't have that, you've created an internal toxicity. So it's the toxicity that hurts men with their emotions and what they project to other people and how they dehumanize them. Stanley, I understand we're getting some comments. Yeah, so I want to read a comment from um, AL. And it goes, that behavior of violating women is a product of viewing women as possessions and objects rather than someone's sister, someone's daughter, or an actual person. When that behavior is unchecked, people who associate with them are knowledgeable of that behavior are too, respons are too responsible. The problem is holding people accountable. Yeah, because what are we holding them accountable for? Um, because boys will be boys. So when that boy is being mean to the girl in the classroom and the girl complains to the teacher, and the teacher says, well, that just means he likes you, that girl, will come, that girl then normalizes guys mistreating you. Exactly. As a form of affection. Or when boys are crying, and I remember when I was five years old, and I was at my dad's friend's house, and then um, the, the brother came in, he was about like 19, 20 years old, and he started punching me in the face and kicking me. And I started crying. And then she went to go help me, and he goes, no, he has to learn how to be tough. And he would always punch me and kick me and like be violent with me, and so I learned how to stop crying. That is, that's abuse, Stanley. That's that is abuse. <laughs> yes, I mean, yes, it's abuse. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not. But like a lot more boys go to that rite of passage than you would like to believe. I can't tell you how many times I've been beat because I was looking weak or I sounded mm. weak or I whined. There's a lot of boys like that too. And they're being, they're being brought up to have these unrealistic ideas of what manhood and masculinity is supposed to look like. And we're not giving ourselves or others the tools to cope and while we're doing that we're making these ticking time bombs of men and then while we're doing that we're telling women that they have to they have to make a bunch of concessions so that they can be safe so then these both these people who have gotten this horrible programming come into the real world and they face each other and you get situations like this mm -hmm. i am very lucky and i'm blessed that like i haven't gone to, to the lengths that some other men have gone but like I'm a textbook example of like what that could look like. Somebody who was physically abused as a child by a woman, like all my experiences with women were negative growing up. Then you have my father 
who was a, a serial womanizer and who had toxic ideas about women and then going out to a hyper-masculine patriarchal society that was telling me that like, all you can do is be angry and aggressive and get pussy. And we're all going through that. So you get to a point where maybe you start to realize that this isn't the way to be. Maybe in your late 20s, if you're lucky, maybe never at all. You know, I want to bring this back to us, Tiffany, as women, because Stanley and Evan did a great job in talking about how this type of toxic masculinity uh, affects them from boys to manhood, and and they, they gave great examples. But for us, for women, this is affecting us too, whether we are victims of sexual assault or not. Like for me, I think it is completely normal to be sexualized at work. It is something that I, again, like working with Zilla, I never had any, you know, thank God, any of those, um, you know, interactions like that. But like, did I think, you know, maybe him or some other people were a little thirsty? Absolutely. But that was it. It was just like, okay, you know, homie, a little, he's doing a lot, you know, let me just keep right. it moving. But, you know, I sort of normalized that in my mind. And I feel like a lot of us do. I feel like a lot of women feel like, well, men are attracted to me at work, whether they're my bosses or they're an inferior. And, you know, it's just something I deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't even work in uh, the entertainment, but I work in like, you know, activists and movement spaces. And that exists even there where you could feel like, oh, you a little extra flirty right now, bro. Or like, you gotta, like, you take a pause. Like, did he really just say that? Like, that's really wild. And it, it is uncomfortable and I like jokingly say like us as women we need to start stabbing these dudes and like and partially because I feel like maybe my own mantra but it's just like these guys do not understand words it is not until like something like physically hurts them that they maybe like I don't know might wake up but I think sometimes even as a woman if even if you do stand up for yourself that still could put you in danger or harm's way Mm -hmm. because how many times you've been on the street yo ma you look good and you like either ignore and keep walking how quickly you turn into all sorts of bitches and hoes. Like yep. it happens in a matter of in a second. Yes, it does. In a matter in a of second. seconds. It does not matter. Like, and it, it is scary, especially if you're by yourself. So I even for myself, like if someone tries to talk to me on the street, I have like the tone, like they say, like, good morning, I'm like, good morning, don't look, keep walking straight. Like, why do I have to have this technique? Like, sir, no, I do not want to talk to you at 7.30 in the morning. And you know that, I know that, but because you think you're entitled to my time, to my space, because society has said that. And I think that is so wrong. And it's just like, it's, it's a hard way to work through because you don't want to be that girl that's like, every time a guy talks to you, you giving him the cold shoulder. But it's like, dude, you're literally the fifth dude that says something to me crazy. No, you no. know what? <laughs> like I can't. I ain't got it for you right now. <laughs> like leave me alone. Uh, would you say Stanley quickly? I just want to say like I'm. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I know my sister. She used to have to like walk with Alka Seltzer when she was coming home from work late at night, and if, in case guys started following her, and she would put the Alka Seltzer in her mouth so she could start foaming mm-hmm. and turn to the guy to scare them away. Like they have women literally having to come up with tactics to be safe. Yeah. I don't be very clear here. Like this, the, the onus to change this behavior is on men a thousand percent because yep. you wouldn't have to go through this. Like, there should be no effort to be safe just existing, period. There should not be. And, like, that yeah. really, really just, we, we, we are, we do have to bring 
Thank you, Stanley. We do have to bring this conversation to a close, but before we do, I, I just want to dwell on the, the notion of consent a little bit more, because when I was reading these threads of the women who were talking about uh, the, the sexual allegations, I was seeing words like raping, and I think something like that is a very dangerous term, because right. it's like you have, you know, rape is a very serious allegation, and if that happens, that is uh, unlawful and obviously that is something that has to be addressed there's no in between between that and I think that even for women uh, we're not even taught to say like you know yes is a yes here but can, can a no mean a no there right. like you know and so so and the, the thing is even with with to go back to Cheyenne who was the first woman who outed Chris and I grappled my initial reaction was I kind of grappled with it because from what I read in her account they were in the car together and he was making very aggressive sexual advances at her. It seemed like they were unwelcome. He tried to kiss her. He tried to take her clothes off. He pulls up to his house and they go inside. Automatically, my I'm like, sis, I'm having like, I'm being triggered because I'm like, this if this person is dangerous, why are you walking into their home? So I don't understand. That part, I'm like, I don't understand. And I think to be real, is it safe or is it is it safe to say maybe Chris didn't understand either like how do you feel about that Evan well no he did understand he, when she first of all what I say is it doesn't have to be the worst thing for it to be bad and for us to talk about it mm -hmm. so it doesn't have to be rape it doesn't have to be you know the worst form of assault there's a great graphic that shows a pyramid and at the top is rape and then below that it shows the different kinds of assault so in this case I don't necessarily think he raped her, but if you, if you take someone's head and make them try to give you head, yeah, that's assault. If you grab their clothes and grope them, yeah, that's assault. So let's be clear here. He did assault her. It was not with consent. She did resist it. Now, to the point of going to the house, this goes back to how women are socialized. First of all, maybe she thought, I will endure less if I just go along with him. If I just, you know, if I, maybe he'll hit me if I try to resist. Maybe he'll do this or that if I try to resist. Also, power dynamic. He, he organizes this really important event. It can help my career. It can hurt my career. So whenever there's a power dynamic, you're going to see these behaviors. With men, the, the notion of, of violence and intimidation is always there. Um, especially if he already was very aggressive in his previous motions to her. She doesn't know what he's capable of. Of course, I think we should empower women to simply leave, to simply say no. But at the same time, I can't say that's a, a clear issue, a binary issue, because some men, as Tiffany pointed out, even just not listening to their advances can be dangerous on the street. And that's just if they say something to you. Mm -hmm. So if you're in an intimate environment with them, it's, it's tricky. The main thing here is, yes, give women more agency. We need to support that. We need to support women to communicate what they want, ongoing consent. When is a yes, when is a no, like you said. But first and foremost, let's teach men not to assault, not to rape, not to harass. Thank you for that, Evan. So we do have to bring this conversation to a close. I know we're getting tons of great comments. Thank you so much, guys, for the engagement. Uh, as we wrap it up, Tiffany, you know, final question. How do we change the socialization of men and women in order to change rape culture, particularly in our community? Um, I think we need to listen to people and, and, make, and make people feel comfortable when it comes to boundaries. 
you know, I'm in therapy and like, I think boundaries is key. I feel like a lot of times people feel guilty when they have boundaries with people, because especially if they never had that boundary with them to begin with. So I think we need to be okay with shutting a dude down. And if he's going to talk about you, he's going to talk about you, but you have to prioritize your comfort and your peace above all else. And whatever comes from it comes from it. But I think really, as Stanley said, the onus has to be on men. And I think, should we cancel Chris or Blogzilla? No, but I think we need to hold them accountable. I don't think just saying, oh, I'm sorry, and I, I might go to therapy. Like th We need to see them actively change and engage right. with women in a real way. And it's also, also ultimately up to the survivors to forgive them. So I think we need to be open and honest about like reading social cues. Like You can read someone's body language, and you know for a fact Shorty's not feeling you. And making sure that you have that ongoing consent. I think we need to be in a place where we can have these tough conversations and really hear everybody out, honor people's, you know, boundaries, and making sure that we are not overstepping and being more in tune with how people are feeling. Stanley, final thoughts on what needs to be done to change the socialization of men and men and boys in particular, so we can stop rape culture. Sure, and I just wanted to like, just highlight two comments as I like unexplained. One from Jackie Bradley and one from Ray Russell. Jackie goes, let's not speak of the scary encounters women have had based on denying a man's advance in any way. Women have been killed on spot for things like that. And Ray Russell goes, the fact that we had to take pictures of a license plate, send a description and tell our girlfriends our destination and current locations before we go out on a date as a tactic of safeness with men whom we like is extremely problematic. And I think like those two comments are part of the course with what women have to do just to exist in a world and be maybe slightly safer. And it is completely wrong. And the only way we can really address those things and, and put an end to situations like Logzilla and Chris Styles is to really start decolonizing the minds of men and boys. And what does that look like? It doesn't look like canceling people. Canceling Chris or Zilla or anybody else doesn't do anything because they're not canceled. They're still here. And if they don't learn anything, they will repeat that behavior and they can teach others to do it. Like, like Tiffany, I agree, they have to be held accountable. And accountability can look like a bunch of different things. And I think that we have to figure out what that looks like. But if we are really serious about putting an end to this, we have to decolonize people's minds in a real way. And to the men who are listening to this conversation right now, I want to recommend a book to you that my friend Evan recommended to me about a year and a half ago. And it's really been helpful in helping me like re-examine the way that I show up in the world and what my masculinity means and how it impacts people. And that is Bell Hooks, The Will to Change. The Will to Change. I put the link in the um, comment section for our Zoom and I'll put the link in the, um, in the Facebook Live as well and I make sure it's in the podcast notes so folks can get it. But that is a great way to start. Just start reading that book or get the audio book, which is free on Amazon right now and really start to learn more about masculinity and manhood. And for those of us who have children and who have young boys and young girls, this is the time to start teaching them about consent right now. Uh, we put some resources in the comments. You guys should use that. Nothing will change unless we change it. Thank you, Evan. Final words? Yes. Thank you, Stanley, for bringing up uh, The Will to Change by Bell Hooks. That is uh, a beautiful book, including intersectional feminism, including cross communities, women of color, men of color, LGBTQ. And I also, so I recommend it to all men to read. And I also want to say that one of the ways I see holding men accountable and, and these men holding themselves accountable is I did that, you don't do that. 
is being an example of what not to do and owning it. So if Chris Stiles and Blogzilla did a separate type of live and said, hey, I'm coming to terms, I was wrong, men don't do these behaviors. And I have yet to see, aside from Aziz Ansari, because he actually did do that, but most other people don't do that after they're called out. That is one of the most powerful ways to tell other men, here are my errors, here are my mistakes, here's why you shouldn't do it. Thank you for that, Evan. And I'll just close out by saying, like, there's a lot to be done. Like, we really need to be intentional about what we are teaching boys, our young boys and our young girls. Like, this is the millennial generation, so we're the ones who are really, you know, reproducing now. And I think that let's take this serious. Like, there, we can raise a whole generation of babies who can respect themselves and respect the other sex. Like mm -hmm. Tupac said, we have a generation of babies who hate the ladies that make the babies. Mm -hmm. Let's stop that. Tupac said that back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. If we haven't learned by now, let us take the onus to stop it because we do have that power. And it starts by teaching your boys to protect women. Do not prey on women, you protect them. Number two, do not depend on nonverbal cues. That is for women and for, uh, and for men. We need to, when we have these sex talks, which is imperative for young people at a young age, you have to tell them about using their words, right? You have to speak up and you have to be very clear about boundaries, like Tiffany said, what is what is what you can do and what you cannot do. That's number two. Number three, I think men need to understand and realize we're in a different world. Like Me Too has taken off and I, at, by, at this point, if you don't realize how dehumanizing it is for you to prey on other women because of your own uh, insecurities and internal issues, look at it like this. It's going to affect you one way or another. You either want to get caught now or you're going to get caught 10 years later when you're at the peak of your career and it's going to collapse. It's going to tumble down. Look at Harvey Weinstein. Look at Russell Simmons. Look at R. Kelly. Look at A.J. Calloway. At the end of the day, look. You need to understand what is what what is important, and I feel like I think putting it into that terms maybe maybe a little easier for men to understand because they're not getting that you can't do this to other women, right? They have power, they have clout. A lot of times, it becomes an egotistical thing, and it goes to their head. So look at it in those type of terms, and then see, <laughs> and then see how you still feel when you want to disrespect shorty. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who chimed into today's show. Please feel free to share the show, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We are Be Heard Talk. Again, that is Be Heard Talk. And also, please feel free to uh, subscribe to our Patreon account or even leave a donation at GoFundMe. By supporting us, we will continue to support the issues that you care about. So thank you, guys, and we'll see you again next week. Peace. Bye. Thank you.